You're listening to the GKM Church Sermon Podcast. Today we are starting a brand new series in the book of John. And I want to start off by framing this series by asking you a question. A question that many people wrestle with. A question that many people ask at some point in their lifetime. And the question is, what is the purpose of all of this? What is the purpose of this earth, this planet? What is the purpose of this universe? What's the purpose of my life? What's the meaning of existence? It's a deep question. It's a tough question. I think there's an epidemic going on in our culture and in our society. That we are running low on purpose. We're running low on meaning, on significance. What is our purpose? And you know what happens when we run low on something? We begin to panic. We begin to panic. How many have ever run low on gas before? On on the 401, middle of traffic, the indicator comes on, it's been flashing, you've been ignoring it for a while, and then you finally look down, 10 kilometers left? Then you start calculating, okay, if I'm at Markham Road, I have to get off at Morningside, and then I have to go down to Kingston Road. Sorry, how many kilometers is that? Do I have to get off the highway earlier? You begin to panic, and nowadays it's not just can I make it, it's like how much am I going to have to pay? 500 bucks every time I go to the tank? There's a sense of panic when we run low on things. Or Remember at the beginning of the pandemic? Well, what were we all panicking over? Toilet paper. <laughs> Remember, everyone was panicking that they would run out of toilet paper. I'm running low on toilet paper. You see people in Costco with double grocery carts of toilet paper. It's funny days. Seems like a distant memory now, doesn't it? But when when we run low on purpose, when we run low on low on something, there's this panic that happens. This undercurrent of anxiety that we carry. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says without vision, people perish. So if you don't know your why in this life, you're living a meaningless existence. Because that's what vision is, to know why you exist. To answer that why question. Why is all of this here? Why am I here and I'm concerned that so many people are missing out on the power of purpose. You know, when you get out of bed in the morning and you you put your feet to the ground, there is nothing more fulfilling. There's nothing more satisfying. There's nothing more gratifying than putting your feet to the ground with a sense of purpose. Like I have something to accomplish today. God has called me to this season for a reason and I'm getting out of bed because I am on mission for him. There's nothing more gratifying than that. Or when we lay down at night and we put our head on our our pillow because we're exhausted, because we've just given all kinds of energy towards the day, 
But at the same time, even though we're exhausted, we feel a sense of fulfillment and reward because we knew our energy is not in vain, that we're working to something bigger, a purpose beyond ourselves. There's nothing like that. So where do we find purpose? Where do we find the, where do we get fulfilled in walking in our purpose? How can I be fulfilled in purpose? Well, if we look to secular society, let's think, what do they believe? What do they tell us? They say this is all an accident. There's this big bang that happened, and all of this came into existence by accident. Well, if I'm an accident, there's no point to this. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. No wonder so many people live in discouragement and despair. No wonder there's so much health, mental health issues because they're teaching our children that this is meaningless. That this is all an accident, that your life is an accident. If death is just blackness, if at, at death it's game over, if there is nothing beyond death, if there's no immortality, if there's no transcendence, if there's no life after death, then what is the point of all of this? What is the point of building our careers? What is uh, the point of building a business? What is the point of raising good children in a bad world? What is the point of doing things with excellence? What is the point of bettering ourselves if there's nothing in the end? And so I'm concerned for a generation. I'm concerned for those who just end up living pointless existence, living in despair because they don't have hope, they don't have purpose, they don't have meaning, they don't have vision for a future. They're just going through the motions of life, the mundane, the routine of existing without meaning. And then there's some, they, they settle for substitute gods. They find something where they'll pour their passion into, they'll pour their life into, but it will be all in vain. Because when life hurts the most, that doesn't help. That, doesn't, that won't answer the tough questions in life. And that will leave you dissatisfied, discontent, Wanting more and wanting more. So what these individuals do, they begin to try harder. They begin to strive to obtain something. They begin to look within themselves. But let me tell you, church, the answer is not for us to obtain something. It's not for us to go somewhere. It's not to find something within ourselves. The answer is Jesus Christ. We are given a Messiah. We are given a Savior. And Jesus Christ reveals God to us. For he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus reveals to us that there is indeed a God. There is a creator out there. We're not just some random accident that happened. There's a God that cares for us. There's a God that designed us. There's a God that has a plan for us. There is a God that will redeem us. He doesn't leave us grasping for air. The answer isn't finding something or someone out there. It's finding Jesus. He gives us purpose. He gives us meaning. He gives us a plan. And when we 
follow Jesus, we then belong to a family. He gives us something to belong to. And then he doesn't just give us something to belong to. He gives us the kingdom of heaven where we will rule and will reign with him. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that bigger than ourselves? Isn't that worth living for? Isn't that worth getting up in the morning and going out? That's something to live for. That's even something to die for. So when we're running low on purpose, when we begin to panic and have this anxious thoughts about why am I here, what what is going on, what do we do? We look to Jesus. We need to look to Jesus and see him focusing on his calling, fulfilling his destiny. And by looking to Jesus, we will find our purpose. Because the whole world is trying to find themselves, but church, we are trying to lose ourselves. When we look to him, we discover who we are. So that's what we're gonna do over the summer. We're gonna look to Jesus. And I believe, as Pastor Ellie prayed, we're gonna be in awe of him. Do you know one time the, Jesus did a miracle and it says the disciples were awestruck. Awestruck. And what did it, it, it said that they believed he was the son of God. And so they were in awe of who Jesus is, what Jesus does, and what Jesus says about himself. So to be in awe is a feeling of reverent respect mixed with fear or wonder. And I, as I was praying, I, I, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, the reason why people are low on purpose because they no longer are in awe of who I am. So it is my prayer, church, that over this summer that the Lord recaptures our awe and our wonder of who he is, that this summer we will truly be awestruck by his presence When we lose our awe of him, it impacts our faith, it impacts our belief in him, it impacts our purpose. So we're going to turn to the the gospel of John and be in the gospel of John all summer. John wrote his entire gospel to both Jew and Gentile. And the primary reason he was writing it is to reveal Jesus Christ as the son of God. That's the overarching theme of the entire gospel. And he does it very poetically, he does it systematically, and he does it theologically. And he he gives in the gospel of John, Jesus' own claims of who he says he is. Remember the seven I am's? They're found in the gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. These are significant sayings that Jesus says that he's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be God through these statements. And to take it a step further, John presents then what he calls signs. He says there's seven signs in the Gospel of John. And a sign was a picture that pointed to a deeper reality than the sign itself. 
So when Jesus does a miracle, it's not never an end to itself. It always has another layer of meaning, a deeper reality. And today we're going to just start to peel off the onion of these deeper realities of one of these signs. Because what he's doing, he's revealing who God is and God's plan for this world. He's revealing salvation. So if he put these in because if you don't believe Jesus' own claim to be the son of God, he's like, let me put these signs, these miracles, and they prove that Jesus is God. One author says Jesus' words are accompanied and confirmed by his works. They are the physical evidence to the world of the reality of who Jesus is. And I love Seven represents wholeness or completeness. So Jesus is completely who he says he is and his actions completely line up with that. So let's begin to study in John 2. This is the first sign of Jesus, the first public miracle of Jesus. And I was just thinking about this. This was the, Jesus' first week on the job, first week as Messiah. And so he goes and He's baptized by John the Baptist. He goes into the wilderness by himself for 40 days. He's tempted by Satan himself. And there he shows himself to be the greater Adam because he did what the first Adam couldn't do. He overcame sin or temptation successfully. And then he starts choosing, and at the end of chapter 1, he's choosing his his disciples, and that leads us right into chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 to 11. On the third day, there was a wedding at at Cana in Galilee. Tongue twister for me there. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servant, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stones, stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification each holding 20 or 30 gallons, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now, became wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, there it is. Jesus did in Cana, in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Lord God, I thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I I was just thinking, the Messiah steps onto the scene. And he goes to this small town wedding. I mean, when the Messiah arrives, I mean, there was uh, promises and prophecies all throughout the Old Testament of this coming Messiah. And then there was 400 years of silence. 
and then Jesus steps on the scene as Messiah, you would think there would be a grand entrance. You would think the first thing he would do is go into Jerusalem and announce, the Messiah is here. But this is an intentionally low key, I believe. He is setting the tone for the rest of his ministry because Jesus enters into the normal experiences of our lives. He desires to be a part of every element of our lives. This was a small town wedding, but it was in too significant for him. And there's a lot that is happening here at this wedding. This young couple ran into a problem. It says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. So, this was a small wedding, but a significant problem. This was a big problem. I mean, the Hebrew people, they knew how to throw a wedding feast. They knew how to party. Their weddings, it didn't last four hours. It wasn't just one hour ceremony and then a reception. It wasn't even two days. Their wedding feast lasted seven days, one entire week. They knew how to party. And actually, if the wedding ran out of food or wine, the guests were allowed to sue them. They could get fined for running out of food or wine. So this was a serious thing to them. As a young couple starting off, not just the public social humiliation, but then it would have been a financial strain. Have to pay everybody out because we ran out of food and wine. So this was a significant problem to them. And in in their culture, a wedding was a, a significant event for the entire community to attend. They didn't take it lightly. They took marriage very seriously. They couldn't just go down to town hall like some do and just get a marriage license and have a judge sign it and be on with their time. No, this was a significant problem for them. Social humiliation, financial strain on the couple. So this was a a, a real practical problem that Jesus was solving and that he was meeting a practical need in their lives. And I say that because our God is so personal and so gracious and so caring that he cares about the practical needs in your life. There's nothing too small or insignificant about your life that he doesn't care about. He wants to meet your practical needs. And Mary knew right away, you have a problem? Right away, no hesitation, goes to Jesus. See, sometimes we have problems and we go to other things first. Jesus is the last on our list. But here we can learn whether our problem is big or small. Turn to Jesus. Jesus, I have a problem. Jesus, I know this might be small in comparison to saving the whole world, but I need your help. I need your help. And they turn to Jesus because Jesus is our problem solver. He's our problem solver. And this points to a bigger problem that he came to solve because there's a bigger problem going on than just running out of wine. And let me tell you today in our society, in our culture, there's a bigger problem than the crime rate in Toronto. All the car thefts and robberies. There's a bigger problem going on. There's a bigger problem than war. There's a bigger problem than inflation. There's a a greater problem that NATO can't fix. The problem is sin. We are all sinners. We all have sinned against a holy God. 
And it's not that we're not concerned about those issues because, church, we should be the first to be concerned about those issues because we have the answer to sin. The root problem is sin, and we have the answer to that because Jesus solved the biggest problem in history, our sinfulness. Look, notice what Jesus said to his mother in response. My hour has not yet come. What is this hour Jesus is talking about? This hour is actually referred to, again, seven times in John. So we have to pay attention to the significance of this hour. The hour Jesus is talking about is the hour of his death. In John 12, 23, Jesus says to his disciples, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He was going to the cross to die for the sins of the world. That was his hour. That was his moment of greatest glory. That was the miracle that this was pointing to, a greater miracle, the shedding of his blood on that cross. He bore the cross of our humiliation. He bore the cross of our shame. He solved the problem of our sin, nature. He took the cup of the wrath of God so that we could have the cup of healing, the cup of joy, thrust right into our hands. And did you notice when this wedding happened? We read quickly by it, the third day. The third day. See what's happening in this? This this whole miracle is a setup pointing to something deeper. It's pointing to the death and resurrection Of Jesus. Because on the cross he purchased the price for our sins. But on the third day church. That's when our hope is. That's when he was resurrected from the grave. That's when we have new life. It's where our joy comes from. It's on the third day. Why wine though? Why his first miracle did he choose wine as his first sign, his first miracle. By turning water into wine, Jesus was sending a message about the greater problem he was solving. Wine has three symbolic meanings. If you have paper, pen, notepad, your phone, you might want to take notes. Three significant meanings of wine. First one. Is healing. Wine is a given as an agent of healing. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The Good Samaritan? The guy was was beat up and left for dead on the side of the road. And the Good Samaritan comes up. He bandages his wounds. What did he clean his wounds with? Oil and wine. They didn't have polysporin back then. When my daughter has a little cut, you put a little polysporin on it. kills all... All the bacteria disinfects it. Well, they would use wine as a disinfectant. So it was an agent of healing. See, Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to heal our diseases. He came to heal our sicknesses. And when, he, when we see him show up, when we see him heal us, when we see him heal even throughout the gospel, it's glimpses of what was from the past in the Garden of Eden. It's glimpses of how he's making us whole and healthy and how he's restoring all things back to himself. And one day there will be no sickness, there will be no disease. So it's a picture backwards, but it's a picture forwards as well. 
And then the second thing, wine was also used as an agent of joy and celebration. Scripture associates wine with joy and celebrations. You know, in the prodigal son, when the son came home, and the father said, go get the fattened calf. We're going to kill it. We're going to have a feast. Well, you better believe they're going to bring out the good barrels of the good stuff. And they were going to party. And they were going to celebrate the goodness of God. And I, what was Jesus doing at the Last Supper with his disciples? They were having Passover and they were drinking wine. They were celebrating the goodness of God in their lives. So Jesus is clearly sending a message that only he could bring the wine that doesn't run out. Because no matter how good the party is, no matter how good the job is, how good the education is, how good the deal was, how big of a rush it was to make that deal, no matter how high you are, it always runs out. There's an emptiness in all of us that will not be satisfied. A thirst that won't be quenched by anything in this world but Jesus. And so Jesus shows up. He's like, I don't just bring wine. I bring the best wine. I don't just bring the best wine. I bring the wine that doesn't run out. I have what will satisfy you. I have what will bring fulfillment. I have what will bring joy. You're discouraged. I have joy for that. You're broken and hurt. I have healing for that. See, the world's joy, it always runs out. But the joy he gives is forever, a new joy, forever, forever satisfying us. See, what happens is, as an example of this, this wedding and this master of feast, what he was describing. See, the world offers what looks like the best at first. But then once you're hooked, it gets worse and it gets worse. And you can't get out of it. And you depend on it and you need it because you're never satisfied. And you have to go back for more and back for more. But you're constantly dissatisfied and discontent. So if you are running low on purpose, it could be that you're pursuing things that always run out and never satisfy you. But Jesus continues to offer that which is the best, what truly satisfies, what never runs out. The third thing the wine represents, it's associated with the move of God. God doing a new thing. He is pouring out a new wine a better wine. He is doing a new thing. He's doing a better thing. The wine that Jesus was about to offer will become a symbol of the new covenant. He begins his ministry and he ends with a cup of wine. The master of feasts said, everyone serves the good wine first and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. See, Jesus, or sorry, John wants to see the broader picture of salvation here. There's a deeper meaning. God has kept the good way, the far better way, the more fulfilling way, the more satisfying way of relating to God, to this moment in history, to Jesus. Jesus was there establishing a new covenant. And in light of this new way, of doing things, this new way of relating to God, the old way would seem like poor wine. 
find it interesting that Moses' first plague was turning water into blood. That's a picture of judgment. And Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. He's saying, I'm entering a new season. This is now a season of grace. I'm not coming to judge. I'm not coming to condemn. I'm coming to pour out my spirit. I'm coming to do a new thing in the world. The law that Moses gave Israel didn't help them. That's why he chose, out of all the things he decided to do this miracle in, he, stole, he chose stone jars used for purification by the Jews. He's making a statement. He says, don't think your religion can help you. Your religion, the law, that can't help you. All that does is expose how sinful you are. It exposes how far from God you are. Because it shows you the expectations that God has. And none of us meet those expectations. So it exposes us. And the jars held water for external washing. But they could not do nothing for internal cleaning. See, external, temporary things only satisfy for a season. But Jesus brings healing and joy for all eternity. He transforms your motives he transforms your perspective. He transforms your desires. He transforms your values. Transformation happens through an inner work of Jesus, not an outer work of religion. The real transformation of water, then, is about us. It's about your anger problem. It's about the materialism you can't shake. It's about the guilt that you live with. About that thing that you did that you can't forget about. It's about that addiction that leaves you feeling worthless. See, Jesus came to transform you. He came to do an inner work in you. He came to give you true joy, true peace, true satisfaction. And, so, and today people aren't just asking, is Christianity true? They're asking, can Christianity work? Can it help me with my addiction? Can it help turn my marriage around? Can, can Jesus help me? Can he truly help me? And the answer is yes. He is still a miracle worker. Jesus is the same today that he was yesterday. Christianity works because Jesus works. It's not about a religion. It's about a person. And he isn't a magician just doing magic tricks. One author says he came to set free and transform people from normal, everyday, stale, water-in-a-pot existence to something sweet and colorful, something that affects the senses and stimulates the soul. I love that. See, he's come to renew our purpose, to give us meaning in life. Jesus has promised to take our our bland runes of a sinful life and make it sweet again. Jesus is creating something new here. Something so good that when you taste it, you won't be satisfied with anything else. 
because everything changes when you put your life in the hands of Jesus. And it changes for the better. He has better joy than the world can offer. He has better healing than the doctors can offer. He has eternal healing. He has healing that lasts. But here's the catch. There's a reason why so many don't live in freedom and in victory. Look what his mother said. His mother said to them, do whatever he tells you. Here's the thing. Do whatever he tells you to do. Then jump to verse 7. It says, Jesus said to the servants, Jesus spoke, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, word of God again. Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When we bring our problems to Jesus, when we give our lives to Jesus, no matter what he says to us, we need to do it. And this is the hard part because everything in us wants to resist it. We want to rationalize it. And so many do this. We tend to bring our problems to Jesus and then he tells us what to do and we're like, nah, that won't work. That doesn't make sense. I don't understand that plan. Imagine these servants. Fill the pots. Why are you talking about fill the pots? Everybody's already washed their hands and they're all eating now and drinking. We, why fill the pots? Okay, fill the pots. Take the water to the master. What, take the water? Jesus, didn't you hear your mother Mary? We're not out of water, we're out of wine. What are you telling us to do? The, the instructions made no logical sense. But when you have a problem, when you take it to Jesus and he tells you what to do, it's not a test of your understanding, church. It's not a test of your rationale. It's a test of your faith. Do you believe in me? Do you trust me? Will you obey me? Because your obedience reveals your level of faith. It reveals whether you really do trust him. If you really do believe what he says. And if your faith, it is your faith that unlocks the supernatural power of God in your life. See, if they didn't act, there would have been no water to wine. If they didn't obey, there would have been no transformation of water. There would have been no miracle. There was action, there was faith required. And sometimes it, it doesn't make sense throughout scripture. Raise your staff over the sea and it's going to part. What? Walk around the wall and it's going to collapse. Peter, come walk on water with me. What? Makes no sense. Go dip in the Jordan seven times and your leprosy will be gone. Roll away the stone of a guy who is dead for four days. Makes no sense. None of those things make sense. Fill up the water jugs. What? Faith is responding to the word of God. Faith is responding to the word of God. Faith is responding to the promptings of the Holy Spirit that are in you. When you're walking, he tells you, go there, you go there. Do this, you do that. Give that, you give that. That's faith, stepping out in faith. 
It rarely makes sense. And there's always a risk in it. What, what if the ladle of water, I give it to the, the master of the feast and he spits it in my face because it's water. And he fires me. And I don't have a job. And oh, do you know what the economy is like? I need a job. What if I get fired? What if, what if God, you, you've given this presentation, this idea in my heart. What if I present it to the boss and he, he fires me? What if? What if, what if I, I stretch out my, my staff over the sea and it doesn't part? What if we walk around the wall seven times and we're just sitting ducks for our enemies to kill us? What if? What if we roll away that stone and his body is decomposed? What if? What if we get hung up on the what ifs all the time? There is always a risk when God calls us to do something or when God calls us to change something. But you can't hesitate, you can't delay, you can't question. You need to do what he says to do. Because when Jesus asks you to do something, it's actually an invitation to see the supernatural power of God operate in your life. Do you want the supernatural power of God? Do you want a miracle in your life? We need to do what he says to do. If we want miracles, do we want miracles here on Sunday mornings? Then we must do what he tells us to do. So if you're running on low on purpose, it could be that you're not doing what he tells you to do. You've strayed away from the voice of God. You've strayed away from the word of God. He's telling you to do something, but you've continually denied, 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 denied. Well, that will leave you feeling low on purpose. So I have a question. Let's, let's really apply this to our lives today. I'm going to get in there, be personal. What was the last thing Jesus told you to do? What remains undone? What was the last thing Jesus told you to do that remains undone? You have yours, I have mine. Holy Spirit speaking. But let's look at verse 11. The act in Cana of Galilee was the first sign Jesus gave. I love this. The glimpse, the first glimpse of his glory. This is the first glimpse of his glory. Imagine, this is, you think why turning water into wine? Is great. This is just a first glimpse of my, this is just a taste of my glory. So it's a first sign, not just of his earthly ministry, but a sign of what is to come when the kingdom of God is fully realized. Because right now the kingdom of God is within our hearts. We are the first fruit of his resurrection. There's a significance in his first miracle being at a wedding feast. This is a glimpse of something to come, something greater to come. There is a day when Jesus is returning and his kingdom will be established and there will be an incredible wedding feast. There's a wedding feast that you are invited to. There's a wedding feast that I'm invited to. I love the scripture. There's so much depth to it. Did you know the Bible opens with a wedding? It's not good for man to be alone, so he created Eve to be his wife. It's a wedding it's a marriage. And do you know 
the Bible ends with a wedding. Revelation 9, 19 says, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That's us, church. That's us. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The church is the bride, and at our physical uniting with our bridegroom, there is going to be a feast, a great feast, a marriage supper of the Lamb. Do you know the Bible even tells us the food we're going to be served at this feast? Do you want to know what you're going to be served, what you're going to be eating? Isaiah 25, verses 6, it says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich foods. Who wants rich foods? I know it's lunchtime, you're getting hungry. A feast of well-aged wine. A rich food full of marrow. A aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people we will be able to see him clearly as he is. And the veil that is spread over all nations, he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Do you see it, church? Do you see this first miracle, turning water into wine, happened at a wedding feast, and it points to something more significant. It points to the death and resurrection of Jesus, and not only that, it points to his return. He's coming again, and we will have a feast when we are united with him. And he will wipe away our tears, and there will be death no more. See, that joy and healing is there. But church, here's the good news. We have a part to play in this plan of redemption. We have a part to play in this restoration, this grand scheme that he's up to. We have a part to play. We have a purpose. We have a meaning. We don't just sit back and wait for this feast to arrive. We don't just sit on our butts and come to church and wait, and one day we're gonna eat. No, we have a part to play. Let me show you this in Matthew 22. Jesus given a parable. He says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Huh, that sounds like what we just read. And then you jump down to verse 9. It says, go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad, I love that, both bad and good, So the wedding hall was filled with guests. See, we have a purpose. We have a role to play. We are to go out on the streets and tell the good news that there is a feast, that there's a God that is returning. He's restoring all things to himself, and he's inviting you to a feast. He's inviting you to a feast. Because it's God's desire and his heart that this feast would be the biggest party in all of history. That it would be packed full of people. So it is up to us to go gather whoever will listen to us. 
Go tell whoever will listen to us. Tell our neighbors. Tell our colleagues. Tell our friends. Tell our parents. Tell our sons and our daughters. Jesus is preparing a feast for you. So if you're running low on purpose, let's be obedient to the word of God. It could be that you're not on mission for God. This is a clear word of God that our purpose, our meaning, our significance is to help spread the news that we're sinners in need of a savior, that the God of the universe set aside his glory, came to earth. See, we don't have to go anywhere. He came to us. We don't have to do anything. He died for us. And he rose again for us so that we could live for eternity, so that we can participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't know about you, but that's a bigger purpose than myself. That goes beyond my nine to five. This has eternal value. This has eternal reward. This has eternal impact. So we have to take a step of faith. It really takes faith to come out Oh, God, I don't know what I'm going to say. I know this is an opportunity given by you, so guide what I'm going to say. I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. So who are you, who's in your life that you can invite? Maybe it's an invitation to a discussion. Maybe it's a, the starting point is an invitation. Will you go out for coffee with me? Will you go out for coffee with me? I want to talk to you something. I want to talk to you about something, not just about your work and how things are going. I want to talk to you about your purpose. I want to talk about purpose. I want to talk about destiny. Let's have, let's have a real talk, a heart to heart. Maybe it's inviting them to a church next week so that they can hear the gospel. And then after they hear the gospel, what do you think about that? What do you think about what that preacher said? Who can you invite? Who's in your life to invite to a discussion, to invite to church? Whatever it is, we have a part to play we have a purpose. And I, I just want to point this out. This all starts, actually, with an invitation. It all starts. See, this couple was smart enough that they invited Jesus to the wedding. They invited Jesus to the wedding. And can I tell you the point of that? Jesus goes where he's wanted. Jesus goes where he's wanted. Jesus comes where he's welcome. Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. He goes where he's wanted, church. And sometimes we can get angry or we can get jealous. And we can look at other believers' lives and we can say, why is God working so much in their life? Why did God do a miracle in their life? Well, I want you to pause and ask the question, did you invite him into your situation? Because sometimes we want the miracle, but we don't invite Jesus to the table. The whole reason or the, why this young couple experienced the supernatural power of God was because they invited Jesus in. They invited Jesus in. 
So if you're running low on purpose, it could be that you have not invited him into your situation. It could be that you haven't invited him into your life. See, and I was just thinking during worship, this couple, they didn't even know about the miracle that was taking place. They were partying, they were with their friends, they were celebrating, and in the back, the servants were at work. See, when we invite Jesus into our lives, sometimes we don't even see the miracles, but he's working behind the scenes on our behalf, doing supernatural works, and he's making a way where there is no way. And the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And sometimes we're just walking in the favor of God and doors are opening for us and we don't realize it is Jesus at work in our lives because we've invited him in. And and it seems so simple, yet so many miss this. I mean, it's just a matter of in the morning getting up and praying, Lord, I give this day to you. Lord, there's a world of temptation out there and I want to crucify my flesh and follow you. And so, Lord, I need your spirit. I need your strength. I need your power, that same resurrection power. I need it. I need it today. So I I welcome you in this morning to help me today. Or it could be just a prayer on the way to work. You're you're driving, you're on the bus, you're listening to worship music. Lord God, I want to be used by you today. I don't want to be a light in my workplace. Lord, I want to love on the customers that come in. I want to be generous and give freely. I want to have a conversation with my colleague, with my friend at lunch. I pray that you give me the opportunity, but I don't know what to say. Holy Spirit, I need your boldness. I need your power. I need you to give me the words to speak. So I rely on you today. Or walking through the hallways of the schools. Holy Spirit, use me. Holy Spirit, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing, Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, does that person need a word of encouragement? Use me, Holy Spirit, use me. See, it's inviting Jesus into our situation, into our life, into every moment. Would you stand with me? We're going to do that right now. Right now. I believe the Lord wants to do a supernatural work in your life this morning, a transforming work in your life. But it starts with you inviting him, inviting him. And maybe you've never invited Jesus into your life before. Maybe you're watching online. I don't know the date or the time you're watching this, but you just have to invite Jesus into your life right now. Invite his presence in. His presence transforms the situation transforms your life. He'll do a deep work in your heart, an inner work that you can't accomplish. So can we just extend our hands like this here in the sanctuary? Let's just invite him in. Thanks for listening to the GKM Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and resources to help you grow in your faith, head to gkm.church grow.